O come, O come, Emmanuel. Amen. What would it take to get you up on your feet and dancing in the aisles this morning? What could fill you with such joy that you just couldn't contain yourself? Maybe the news that there are no new coronavirus cases and the pandemic is miraculously over. Perhaps learning that all of your loans have been forgiven, that you've been accepted into your dream school on a full scholarship, that the last scan shows no signs of cancer, that the family member that you haven't talked to in 10 years wants to seek reconciliation, that your favorite team has won the championship. Today's text from Luke, often referred to as the visitation, is one that beckons us into this joy of God. We heard Elizabeth say to her visiting relative Mary that when she heard her voice that the child in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist, leaped for joy. And that word joy, it means so much more than happiness. We all know that happiness comes and goes, fluctuating more often than the stock market does. Happiness is a perspective that we have when things work out the way we want them to. And there's nothing wrong with being happy. Truly, I hope that each and every one of you are filled with moments of happiness all day long. Joy, though, is something deeper and lovelier. The word that Luke uses for joy means something like to adorn or to make resplendent. Joy is about exalting in our whole being. Joy is not something that you can contain. It's in our faces and in our speech. You've seen joy before in what some people call the glow of an expecting mother, or in the giddiness of a couple that is newly engaged, or in the tears of joy that grandparents have in holding their grandchildren. Joy is not dependent on outside factors. Rather, joy is a gift from God, the gift of trusting that God's love will make all things well. And this is why joy can happen in situations where happiness cannot. Joy can be found in school cafeterias, in a courtroom, during a pandemic, or in the middle of a hymn at church. Understanding joy as coming from the linguistic family of adornment instead of emotion, helps us to recognize that joy is something like a wonderfully warm and comfortable coat that we are given on a cold winter day. It's not something that we have to summon up in ourselves. Rather, it is something outside of us that is given to us to put on. And this is why scripture sometimes speaks about the robes of righteousness or the garments of salvation. Joy is something that God gives us to wear. And this means that joy cannot be taken away. Sure, the cold can get colder, the winds can blow fiercer, but the cloak of joy remains ours. Joy is grounded in this abiding trust and hope in God to redeem, to restore, to reveal all things in love. And so those seemingly trivial things do remind us of joy. When you get a good parking spot, is that really joy? 
I don't know. I'm not in the judgment business. I'm in the declaring grace business. And so whatever that feeling is, whether it's joy or happiness, at its best, it reminds us of the blessings and the joy that God intends for us all. When your team wins a big game, it's not about God wanting your side to be joyful and the other side to be sad. It's that that exuberance that you feel is a reminder of the joy that is to come. And what happens when you feel that sort of joy? You jump, you shout, you dance, you might even start singing in the words of a song that you're making up on the spot. And that sense of sheer joy that leads to extemporaneous song is what we find happening between Mary and Elizabeth. Elizabeth begins with a song, and Mary responds with perhaps the song that has been sung more than any other in world history, the Magnificat. The song of Mary is one of those parts of scripture that I think every Christian should have committed to memory and should pray with regularly. But I've preached on the Magnificat many times on the fourth Sunday of Advent. So this time around, I want to focus just on this encounter between these two pregnant women because it brings us into the fullness of the joy of Christ's coming. Now, as a reminder, Elizabeth was an older woman, well beyond normal childbearing years, as was her husband, Zachariah. God, though, had chosen this couple to have a child who would prepare the way as a prophet for the Messiah. The child is John the Baptist. An angel of the Lord then comes to Mary and tells her that she will conceive a child by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that this child of hers will be called the Son of the Most High, that he will inherit the throne of David and reign over a kingdom that will have no end. And as the evidence of God's power to do this, Mary is told that her relative, Elizabeth, who had been considered barren, was now in her sixth month of pregnancy. Then, as our text this morning opens, Mary sets out with haste on the roughly 90-mile journey from Nazareth to the small town of Ein Kerem, just outside of modern-day Jerusalem. Mary enters the house, and upon hearing Mary's voice, the child in Elizabeth's womb leaps. The sound of Mary's voice, which undoubtedly carried the love, grace, and joy of the Christ child that was in her womb, stirred something in the ears of Elizabeth and in utero John. And I wonder what sort of sounds and words stir you. Maybe it's a particular hymn or a piece of music that gives you goosebumps every time you hear it. A couple of years ago, I read the Narnia series to Ellie, and I've just started reading it to Rowan. And every time I read through that series, I am struck at just how profound an allegory for faith that whole series is. They are not children's books. They are books for us all. Fairly early in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the children are newcomers in Narnia, and they don't know anything about this land in which they now find themselves. They don't know anything about the Christ-like figure of Aslan. They don't even know that he's a lion. And yet the first time they hear his name, 
something tingles within them. A joy without any explanation is summoned just in hearing that name, Aslan. The word signals possibility and hope. Maybe it is words from our liturgy that stir you. Almighty God, have mercy on you and forgive you all your sins. This is my body given for you. The peace of the Lord be always with you. The prophet Malachi wrote, but for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. What words or sounds make your heart leap for joy? In recounting the visitation, Luke connects this leaping to being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a good way of understanding the joy that we are given to put on. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the word of God swept over the waters at creation. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the dead bones that Ezekiel saw in a valley came to new life. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, a couple that had been unable to conceive are given a child. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, a young, unwed girl finds herself carrying God in the flesh. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the downtrodden leap for joy. The fearful find courage to act. And the powerful, in encountering something bigger than themselves, find humility. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, a ragtag bunch of disciples spread the good news. And here we are 2,000 years later because the Holy Spirit continues to work in the world. Through the Holy Spirit, all things are possible in God, and that includes you. That very same Spirit that caused John the Baptist to leap in the womb has been given to us all. And that's as good a reason to shout and dance as there is. And that's exactly what Elizabeth does next. Our translation this morning says that she exclaimed with a loud cry. The word here that Luke uses to describe Elizabeth's song is the same word used throughout the Old Testament to describe what people do with instruments, with symbols, and with shouts of joy when they come into the presence of God. It's the word used to convey worship that happens when people see the Ark of the Covenant or come into the temple of the Lord. When she says that she has come into the presence of the mother of my Lord, Elizabeth is telling us what gives her this joy. Last Sunday, we heard Zechariah's song, which spoke about the promises of God to come to his people and set them free, to forgive our sins, to shine on those who live in darkness and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Well, Elizabeth offers this praise because she now sees that God is making good on all of those promises through this child in Mary's womb. The proper response to being stirred by the Holy Spirit is praise that reminds us that we are in God's presence. So however you want to do it, this is why prayer is so important. Prayer creates the time and the space for us to be reminded that we are held secure in God's promises. 
without taking time to do this, it's far too easy to get swept up by all the distractions and the worries and the busyness of our lives. So for some people, morning and evening prayer really is a wonderful way to structure a prayer life. Maybe using the shorter one-page devotions in the prayer book for morning, noon, evening, and bedtime work better for your life right now. Perhaps walking a labyrinth helps you to be centered in God, or maybe the rosary is a good tool for you. Sunday worship, of course, is a part of it, but Sunday worship is not enough because we were created to praise God more than once a week, because we were created to experience the joy of God all the time. Later in Luke, Jesus will speak of the blessings of the Beatitudes, but here, Elizabeth speaks the very first beatitude. Blessed is she who believes. Now, as I've said many times before, belief is not a hypothesis. Belief is not an idea, not a thought. Belief, at least when it comes to faith in scripture, is about having a relationship of trust and allegiance to God. Blessings and joy come as a result not of the good things that we do or the bad things that we try not to do, not at all. Rather, God wants nothing more than for us to be filled with joy, and God seeks to lavish us from the riches of his love. And when we are able to trust that God's love is the truest thing about ourselves, when we put our confidence not in our talents or accomplishments, but rather in God's mercy. When we seek first not our priorities or projects, but rather the kingdom of God, that is what the Bible calls believing. And in this nearness to God, we enter into the joy that the Holy Spirit is stirring in our lives. And all of this is what this week's collect helps us to pray for, that God would purify us so that we can receive the daily visitation of Jesus. Yes, we are waiting for Christmas, when we will celebrate that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and we wait for that day on which he shall come again in clouds descending. But it is also true that through the power of the Holy Spirit, daily, we are visited by Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that he finds a mansion prepared for himself in us. So that just as God took up residence in Elizabeth and in Mary, that God will also dwell in us. My brothers and sisters, there's a reason to dance. Shout, sing, and be joyful. God is with us. The love of Christ is ours and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And so nothing is impossible with God. And we can be secure in that belief that all shall be well.